Welcome to another episode of the podcast on alanarnett.com. Uh, really excited today to talk about something that a lot of people get afraid of and also excited about. And during this Everest 2021 season, we've just had a bunch of people take the flight from Kathmandu to Lukla. And I can tell you, after taking that flight uh, for me many, many times over the years, um, it's always a highlight of the trip. And for many people, they're going to go home and they're going to talk about that flight more than anything else. I just, uh, I'll cover all the statistics uh, in the weekend update that'll be posted tomorrow. But today, I want to talk about that flight going from Lukla. You know, the whole thing starts uh, the night before you're in Kathmandu. You go out and have dinner. Uh, the, you know, your team gets together and you hear, okay, pack your bags and be ready to go. We're leaving the hotel at 4 a.m. So you go back to your hotel that night and uh, you look at all your gear. Typically, it's just strewn all over your room if you have a single room or all over your bed if you're sharing with a mate. And, um, you know, you look at all that stuff and you're saying, oh, my gosh, do I really need all this to go climb Mount Everest? Well, the answer is yes, because you've gone through that gear so many times and you know exactly why you have each item there. But for now, it's a daunting task to get into your duffel bags and get some sleep before that early wake-up call. Well, you really don't sleep that night because <laughs> there's a lot of anxiety. This is maybe your second or third night in Kathmandu, so jet lag is still real. But you wake up and then uh, when the phone goes off in your room and you go take that last hot shower that you're going to have for four, six, maybe seven weeks. And so you linger in the shower probably a little longer than your roommate would like you to, and especially the hotel would like you to, as the water begins to get tepid, uh, you know, towards the end of your, of your experience. But anyway, you grab your duffel bags and you haul them downstairs because there's nobody that's going to take your 270-pound duffel bags down at uh, 3.30 a.m. Go down in the lobby of the hotel, maybe you grab a piece of toast, just you know, uh, rub some jelly on it, have some uh, Sanka uh, fake coffee, instant coffee, and you call it good. And everybody's now milling around half asleep, half awake. They don't know where, you don't know where you are. But then you hop on the bus and now you start winding through the, uh, the early morning hours down to Kathmandu streets. About the only thing you see are the dogs rummaging through the garbage on the streets, but it's really dark and quiet for the first time in, I don't know, ever, it seems like to you since you've been there. Make your way up to the domestic terminal of the Kathmandu airport. Uh, you know, everybody grabs their duffels, everybody helps everybody else, throw those duffels on a couple of trolleys, and then you begin to push them into the airport. This next part, it's just crazy. You go through and everybody gets weighed. The bags get weighed. The people get weighed. You know, you look at the scale and you think, oh my gosh, I knew I should have lost that extra five pounds before I got here. Because <laughs> you know you're going to be losing weight on the on the overall expedition. So eventually everybody goes through. You go through this, um, this quasi-security check. You walk through a metal detector that's probably not even plugged in. And then you get into the waiting room. And now it's called the waiting room for a reason. So now you go through this this kind of this game where you're looking on the television screen for your flight. And, you know, I always like to fly Buddha Air because I think, you know, it gave you some good karma, perhaps. Anything named Buddha Air has got to be safer, you know, than anything else out there. 
Anyway, so you sit there and you see Buda Air is supposed to take off at uh, at uh, 6.45 a.m. to get to Lukla. It's only a half an hour flight, but typically you have to fly early in the morning before the clouds build up and, and perhaps rain even builds. But the real issue with flying into Lukla is that there's no air traffic control, there's no radar, it's strictly visual flight rules, and, that, and the airport itself is perched on the side of a mountain. It has a 2,000-foot drop-off at the beginning or the end of the runway and at the beginning of the runway as you're departing that you have a rock wall that goes up several hundred feet so there's no opportunity for a go around if the pilot misses uh, there's no opportunity for uh, an engine failure or a gear failure uh, as you go and you land on that airport so you're sitting there in Kathmandu and you're thinking about all of this and somebody pulls out you know they pull up their computer and they start looking for the statistics and so some of the statistics are that since uh, 2000 that there have been um, 11 crashes and 57 people have, have tragically died in those crashes. Sometimes it's only a few people, sometimes it's 16 or 18. So, you know, this really gets you motivated now as you sit there and you're having your third cup of Sanka um, and you're trying to figure out, wow, you know, am I on the right airline or not and what's going on here? Well, eventually, uh, you know, going through the, the uh, game of the 30-minute uh, delay, death by delay, every 30 minutes your plane finally says it's going to take off, and you hear your guide call out, okay, let's go, everybody, follow me. And so typically you're following one of the Sherpas, and um, yeah, because you maybe have one or two Sherpas from your team that are in Kathmandu to kind of kind of help you out and kind of show you the ways along with your Western guide if you have that on your particular uh, trip. Anyway, so you head on, you walk out into the tarmac, and once again, you get on that bus uh, for the 30-second ride to the airplane. But this time, it's a little bit further because the domestic um, uh, short takeoff and landing uh, twin otters are a little bit further away from the big 777s and the Airbuses that are there uh, that came in from the international destinations. So you sit down in your seats, you've got uh, your, uh, your day pack on your lap, uh, the duffels are loaded in uh, the belly of the, of the bus, and so you keep on heading out. Well, eventually you get to this little airplane, and about this time the sun's coming up, and just a beautiful view, really peaceful, quiet on the tarmac, everybody's milling around, you know, people are they're, uh, fueling the airplanes, they're loading duffel bags into it, and then, then you get the nod to get on the airplane. Well, you crawl up the steps, and uh, it's only about a four-step to get onto this little airplane, this little twin otter. And there's this, um, this the uh, air hostess, uh, one of the flight crew, is there greeting you. She smiles so nicely, and you look in. There's uh, two seats on one side and one seat on the other. In some planes, it's only one seat on each side. So every seat's a good seat. But you want to go take a video of the landing. So you go up to row one, and you sit on the one-person side, on the left-hand side of the airplane, so you can get a view out the airplane as well as into the cockpit. Because your your dream is to be able to video that that landing as you pull into Lukla. Well, you sit there, and it seems like, again, more delay after delay. Eventually, you hear the right engine start up, you know, that turboprop. <laughs> 
it starts to go, and then the second one, and pretty soon they're both whining away at full speed, and then the airplane starts to jerk and turn, and eventually makes its way all the way to the end of the runway to get to take off. Again, more delays as it's sitting there, and you're starting to think, my gosh, you're burning a lot of fuel. <laughs> but you look around the airplane, and everybody's got cotton wads stuck in their ear, because again, uh, they... The uh, flight crew came through with a, uh, a tray of mints and a ball of cotton. And so the mints are obvious, the cotton not so, but you grab it and you look around and you see other people that have been here before. They take it, they rip off part of it, they stick it in their right ear, and then they stick it in their left ear. And so that is to help you uh, deal with the really loud engine noise in, in the airplane. I remember one time I didn't do it, I regretted it. Use the cotton. <laughs> so all of a sudden the airplane is going down the runway and it takes off and it just goes and you know and you're all of a sudden your heart kind of picks up a beat or two so you're flying along and you're looking out the window and you're seeing this these rolling hills of the foothills of the himalayas and you're just amazed at the at the dirt paths and where they've carved out maybe a barley field up on the side of a mountain or you've got these these small uh, homes that are that are built up there you don't see how in the world a car or any type of automation could ever make it but somehow or another um, uh, the nepalese they have been able to carve out a beautiful life in these rolling foothills uh, living off of the land and selling their their uh, crops to generate money for them so they can buy beef or perhaps other salt things that they can't make themselves so you're watching all of this, you're looking out the window, you've got your camera, you're just clicking away, and you say, thank you for having a digital camera, and I bought all these extra cards, so I'm going to take as many pictures as I want. You know, often I'd come home with 2,000 pictures um, of, of a trip to Nepal, and I cherish every single one of them. My, my uh, Nepal library is close to 20,000 pictures at this point. <laughs> So you're flying along, looking out the window, you look over your shoulder at your other teammates and everybody has this little grin on their face, just just so happy to be out of Kathmandu, even though you had a good time there, you're still going, all right, now we're, now we're, now we're starting this thing for real. Fly along, 10 minutes, 15, 20, 25, you start to feel the airplane go down. You're approaching Lukla. So far, the weather is held. There's no clouds that moved in, so it looks like you're going to be able to land um, at the Tenzing uh, Hillary Airport in Lukla, Nepal. So you begin to head down. It gets lower and lower. You start to hear the, the uh, turboprops you know, changing pitch, so you know the pilots are flying this baby. And so now you lean over and you take your camera and you zoom in on the cockpit, on the dials and the controls, but mainly you're looking through the cockpit window and you, and you, as you stick closer and closer. First, you can't see the runway at all. And you think, how in the world do these pilots find this? But then you realize they have probably flown an, an airplane to this airport hundreds of times, if not thousands for the more senior people. Well, the flight comes in and you, all of a sudden you see the runway up here, but literally the runway is just carved, it seemed like, out of the mountain. 
So there's a little couple of uh, uh, buildings to the right side of the airplane, and that's where a couple of hotels are. There's a couple on the left, some tea houses. You see the giant city of Lukla, which is probably permanent population of a few hundred, but it's really now the gateway to the Kumbu. The airplane's coming down. It's getting lower and lower. Uh, you, know, you, know, you kind of pull your seatbelt just a little bit tighter. You stand up straight or sit up straight. You put both your feet on the, on the, uh, on the ground on the floor of the airplane you still got your camera you know pointing into the cockpit you zoom in a little bit so you can get a better view of the air the, the runway as it comes into view and then all of a sudden you be good boom boom as the airplane does a helic does an aircraft carrier landing on the short runway and it all of a sudden you hear the the pitch of the of the turboprops as they they begin to reverse and they go with gusto and it's just the airplane just comes to a rapid deceleration and you're in Lukla. The airplane takes a right-hand turn. It goes to spot number two because there's an airplane at number one, three, and four, and they're all the same. These short takeoff twin otters or other de Havilands that are all there making their, their daily trip back and forth to Kathmandu or perhaps a couple of other cities. Well, eventually the airplane does pull up. They don't turn the props off. They don't. They don't turn it off. They keep going, but albeit at a lower pitch, because they have another group that's coming in. As soon as you get off, somebody else is going to get on, and they're going to make that trip back to, back to Kathmandu, hoping that they can avoid the weather moving in. You step off the the little steps. You've got your backpack on now. You look around. There's all these people standing up next to the fence. They're porters. They're looking for jobs. But uh, your team has already arranged to have uh, the porters carry your duffel bags up to Everest Base Camp. But today you're going to trek over to Pakding for your first night in the Kumbu. You know, you look around. Everybody's just smiling. Everybody's happy. A few people have got a little tear in their eye. Big hugs, big hugs. And then one of the Sherpas walks over to the group and says, Basardi, Basardi, Basardi. Slowly, slowly, slowly. You're at 9,000 feet and you're about to start the trek to Everest Base Camp. Climb on! This is Alan. And remember, memories are everything. <laughs>